Well, we're about nearing the end. Notice I said about nearing the end of this series, Come Grow With Me. But as we near the end of that series, dear ones, we're going to be going back and revisiting Romans 6, 7, 8. I know some are saying, oh, no. We were there for several Sundays during 2008, 2009. So obviously this is going to be an overview. For example, we're only going to be dealing two Sundays in Romans 6. You'll be glad for that, okay? However, however, I can, I want to say this, I, I sense having done the study of Romans 6 and having gone back to that chapter again, this is probably the most important message I could ever deliver from this pulpit. I really mean that. For me, and I mean for you, I realize the whole scripture is important, it's profound, but this is probably the most important message that I personally could ever deliver from this pulpit. Now I know you're going to sense in some ways you're in a classroom. And you are. And I've got an outline there in the bulletin. You need to follow and follow it carefully. Because I want you to clearly understand what God is trying to teach you and me from this chapter. And secondly, you need to know this. This is, this is literally a pass-fail class. You're either going to pass it, I'm either going to pass it, or you or I are going to fail. Keep that in mind as we go through this. I still believe that these are the three most important chapters in the Bible that most clearly need to be most clearly understood in order for you or me to be a victorious Christian living that life. Because if you fail to grasp the principles that are found in Romans 6, 7, and 8, you're going to spend your years floundering and being frustrated on this journey toward home. It's that simple. So as we revisit these three chapters, I'm not going to belabor them. I've already done that. But I will seek to help you clearly uh, see the most important principles that Paul presents and develops that are necessary for your being a victorious Christian. And this morning's message is a most important message, as I mentioned. And uh, so uh, we're going to begin with, uh, well, let me state this. Here's what's happening in a lot of Christian lives. You're probably going to be able to identify this. Here's what's happening in a lot of Christian life. You know that you're saved and you're going to heaven. You know that you're forgiven for all your sin. You know that God is now your heavenly Father. And Jesus Christ is your Savior. You acknowledge that the Bible sets forth very high principles, ideals, and so forth, standards. But they seem impossible for you to live out. That's the battle that's going on. The tendency, therefore, is to regard them as unrealistic and settle for a halfway compromise of mediocrity. And that's where multitudes of Christians find themselves when it comes to living out the Christian life. Such commands in Scripture, for example, is be holy as I am holy. Walk in newness of life. Rejoice evermore. And so forth. They have a hollow ring to them. They speak of an ideal rather than a real experience for one's life. As Dr. Stanley Ellison writes, who was one of my mentors years ago, as a new creation in Christ, we would fly spiritually, but we can't seem to get off the ground. Isn't that true? It's really true. A question every Christian here needs to ask yourself and need to answer. 
I mean, stop and ask it. Is my Christianity really working? You need to answer that. You need to ask yourself that. Be honest. Ask yourself that and answer that. I know it's supposed to work. I know God who never lies declares that it works. But why then is it not working in my life? Since I possess this newness of life, why can I not walk in this newness of life? What I know with certainty is that there is something within me that loves sin and it draws like a magnet me to sin. Yet there is also something within me that hates sin. And all too often my love affair with sin wins out. That's where many of us are. I know this is not the way it should be, but for some reason I can't put this Christian life together and I just can't make it work. And that's just being bold and clear and honest in it. Maybe for some, you know, you look and say, well, they've arrived at a higher plane. They, they, you know, somehow they were born with a good discipline in their life and they were taught that early and therefore it's working for them because they're so disciplined and so committed. May I suggest to you, so is the Apostle Paul, but you get to Romans chapter 7 and even that didn't work for him. Keep that in mind. So I find myself still groveling along, trying to figure out how to make my Christian life work. I'm saved and I know I'm going to heaven, but my everyday living is anything but holy living. I think we can all identify that, one time or another anyway. I believe I possess this newness of life. I just don't seem to know how or have the power to walk in it. I think, even though I didn't get to attend your class, Heinz, you must have talked a little bit on that subject this morning. As we now re-examine the first 14 verses of Romans chapter 6, I want to begin by immediately knocking one fallacy in the head. Now get this, because some of you are hoping this was the answer. Nowhere does the Bible teach, let go and let God. Surprised? Don't you wish? I've even bargained in prayer on that one with God. Look, I'll just let go and you do it all. I'll just step back. But here's what the Bible says, and I quote Lewis Perry Chafer, his systematic theology. He he writes, The child of God is exhorted to reckon, yield, mortify. That means count to the dead. Put off, let not, put away. Take unto you the whole armor of God. Set your affection on things above. Put on the new man. Deny himself. Abide in Christ. Fight. Run the race. Walk in love. Walk in the spirit. Walk in the light. Walk in the newness of life. Such is the human responsibility, he writes, toward the deliverance which God has provided through the death of his son and proposes now to accomplish by the spirit. End of quote. That's right. We're in a warfare. You can't just let go and let God. The Apostle Paul himself, he said, I beat, I buffet, and that's not buffet. That's happening next Sunday. (laughs) I beat, I buffet my body and make it my slave. That certainly does not support the fallacy of letting go and letting God which a lot of us are trying to do and it just doesn't work. Rather, in living out the victorious Christian life, Paul found himself in constant warfare. Get that? In constant warfare. 
You didn't want to hear that, neither did I. But that's the case. But don't throw up your hands in despair here. Paul tells you exactly how you can walk in newness of life, even though it will include such warfare, and you're going to find great joy and victory in your efforts to do so. So let's look now at Romans chapter 6 with that background. We need to see first that Romans chapter 6 is divided into two parts that center around two important questions. Just a quick casual reading of that chapter will tell you that and show you that. Paul answers concerning why, or these two important questions, I'm sorry, uh, in them. Paul answers concerning why saved people walk in newness of life. The first question is found in verse 1. There in your Bible. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase or may abound? That's the first question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Now, Paul summarizes the answer to that in the first 14 verses. Here's his summary. Continuance in sin is impossible to a justified or saved man because of his union with Christ in his death and in his life. That's what we're going to be covering this morning. Second question, found in verse 15. What then? Shall we sin? Because we are not under law, but under grace. And so Paul summarizes the answer to that question in verses 15 through the end of the chapter 23. And here's what he says in essence. Even acts of sin are unwarranted because of the believer's position under grace and because sin inevitably leads to bondage and death. So that's what we're going to be looking at here in these Sundays. Now that's a quick summary of the big picture presented in Romans chapter 6. Now let's turn to our outline. And dear ones, you need that outline. You need it, so please take it out. Please fill out, because remember, this is the battle you're going to be in until God takes you home to glory. So your outline. And we begin by answering that first question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? No, that's not it. Yes, yes, it is. Shall we continue in sin so that grace, so that grace may increase? I better get it right myself. Let me read verses one through three. At this time, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. That's the strongest emphatic in the Greek. May ginotoi. May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Having died to sin, you can't continue living in it. Sounds pretty simple. Having died to sin... You can't continue living in it. First, you died to sin when you put your faith in Christ. When you got saved. Now, how is this possible? Well, the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, confessing Him to be the Son of God and your Savior, trusting Him and Him alone to save you, God made a profound declaration about you. He declared something to be true of you. Something he did. He says, you died with Christ on that cross. And you were buried with him. What? I mean, wait a minute. 
God did something to you. Jesus didn't just come into your heart. You know, we asked Jesus in our heart. He didn't just come into your heart. First, God placed you on the cross with His Son, and you died, and you were buried with Him. I don't understand, folks. That's just what Scripture declares. That's what God says He did with you. Verses 2 through 4 are summarized by Paul in Galatians 2.20. Write that down. Put it right next to your text of verses 2 and 3. I did. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Done. Finished. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We sang some choruses about that this morning, some hymns as well. In other words, because of your being crucified with Christ and having died and having been buried with him, God makes this profound declaration about you. Now listen, this is what God says. He says, you have died to sin. Amazing. And then you're saying, how so? How does this work out? Number two, this was a complete, once for all, death to sin. This isn't a swoony here. This is a complete, once for all, death to sin. As we'll see later on in these verses, your old man was crucified with Christ. At that point, God caused you to die, and you are no longer in Adam. The new, the resurrected you has now been replaced in Christ. You know, because you were resurrected with Him, you know Paul loved that phrase and used it over and over again, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Profound truth. I want you to know something else about the 6th chapter of Romans. It uses the words dead, death, and died 18 times. You can't miss that. And it uses the words life, live, lives, Alive ten times and add to those the words raised and resurrection, you have even more. All throughout this chapter. You really can't miss the subject matter, can you? It's death, life. You know, death, life. God has moved the Christian from death to life, and because he has done so, he explains to you how you can now and are to walk in newness of life. Number three, what Paul did not Say This is so important because some of us have missed it otherwise. What Paul did not say. He did not say that you as a Christian are to die to sin. Got that? Because some of you think that's what's going on. I'm supposed to die to sin. He didn't say that. He didn't say you're to die. Oh, you know, okay, now that you're a Christian, you need to die to sin. He did not say that. Secondly, he did not say that you as a Christian are presently dead to sin. Now, I've got to work on that one. I'll explain what I mean by that a little later on. He did not say, though, that you as a Christian are presently dead to sin. Thirdly, he did not say that sin in you died. Did you get that? We've got to think this through. He did not say that sin in you, sin in me, died. What did he say? He said, you died once for all to sin. Explain. Your previous union with Adam 
And everybody that's born in this world has that union with Adam. Your previous union with Adam as an unredeemed person in bondage, enslaved to sin, ended when you died with Christ on that cross. Paul states this truth repeatedly. Look at verse 2. May it never be, how shall we who died to sin live in it? Look at verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus have been baptized into his death? Verse 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Verse 7. For he who has died is freed from sin. Verse 8. Now, if we have died or since we've died with Christ. And verse 11. Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin. You really can't miss it. How many times he went over and over this very carefully, clearly in this first part of the chapter. So having died to sin once for all, you can't continue living in it. I know you're confused. Because you say, that just isn't my experience. Follow along. Stay right with me with the text and with the outline. Next major point. Having been raised with Christ, you must Walk in newness of life. Write it down. Having been raised with Christ, you died with him. Having been raised with Christ, you must walk in newness of life. Verses 4 and 5. Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. May I suggest you write two words after verse 5 in your Bible. The two words you need to put in that are right now. He's not talking about when you go to heaven. He's talking about right now that you will also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Let me say something about verse 5. That little clause, so that we too might walk in newness of life, listen now, does not mean maybe you will, maybe you won't. That is not what the subjunctive word might means in this text. That subjunctive word refers how. God made such a walk possible. How might it be possible? By His Son and what He did for you. By placing you in union with His Son and being in union with His Son, you must now walk in newness of life. You were saved, justified by the union in His Son's death. You were transformed, metamorphosis, to walk now in newness of life by your union in His Son's what? Resurrection. You were raised with Him. Well, how does the Bible describe this newness of life that you and I now possess? The Bible says you are given a new life, a new heart, a new spirit. You become a new creation. You become a new creature and a new man with a new name and a new song. Everything, dear ones, is new. It's all new. That's the metamorphosis of this being born into God's family and being resurrected with Christ out of the dead. Old things have passed away and behold, he says, all things have become new. Christ is not, listen, Christ is not merely living in you. He is your life. Powerful concept there. He's not, he didn't just save you and become, and live in you, give you life. He is your life. Number one, under having been raised with Christ, you must walk in newness of life. 
After you finish this systematic theology class, I want you to go out here and pass it, okay? I want to pass it, not fail it. Number one, your union with Christ in his death resulted in your justification. Write it down your outline. Your union with Christ in his death resulted in your justification. Verse 4, the first part, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death. When God did that for you and he caused you to put your trust and your faith in his son Jesus Christ and what he did and paid for your sin and bore your punishment on the cross, he said, I did something to you. It is a legal term. I justified you. Justification is a legal action where God declares you, the guilty sinner, are pardoned and you're forgiven. It's a marvelous thing. That's why people need to be saved. But he didn't stop there. Because the wages of sin is what? Tell me. Death. It's in the end of this chapter. Wages of sin is death. Your penalty had to be paid. Had to be paid. Christ died bearing your sins and your penalty. But you also died with him when you were pla- when you placed your faith in him, trusting him for your salvation. You accepted God's free gift of salvation that cost him everything. But understand this, understand this, your dying with Christ does not mean you paid the price for your sins. You surely understand, you didn't pay your price. What it does mean is God severed your union with Adam and your bondage and to the reign of sin and he placed you in union with his son. That's That big word, justification. He declared you legally righteous. And you're going to discover in the Bible, it's Jesus' righteousness. Not something you came up with. It's Jesus' righteousness. And how did you get that? He gave you his son. Number two, your union with Christ in his resurrection. Now, this is the second step. Your union with Christ in his resurrection results in your sanctification. Big word I know means living a holy life. Verse 4, the latter part, and 5, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might, remember that is must, Walk in newness of life, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, and we have if you're saved, well, certainly then we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection right now. Don't miss that. It's not talking about when you get to heaven. It's right now. Sanctification speaks of your living a holy life, being godly, walking in daily fellowship with your Lord and Savior. In other words... Walking in newness of life. Why? Why? Because you now live in a different sphere. You're no longer joined to Adam like all the unsaved people are, still being dead in trespasses and sins, enslaved in Satan's kingdom of darkness and death. You have been joined to Christ and are in union with Him, bearing His very life and righteousness. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1.30. But by God's doing, you are, listen to this, pronouns important, you are in already Christ. You're in Christ. Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. Now let's get this part. You're in Christ who became to us, who became to us wisdom from God, 
and righteousness and sanctification. There's that word. He became your sanctification. Here you are struggling to work this out yourself, to overcome sin. And Jesus says, God says to you that my son became your sanctification. Why? Because he became your life and redemption. So don't miss what he just said to you in 1 Corinthians 1.30. He said, Jesus Christ became your sanctification, your union with him. He is your holy walk, your living and godly life that you live. It is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. You possess His very life? No. You do that, but He, He is your life. This is not addition, dear ones. It isn't merely getting something you didn't have and keeping what you did have. This is transformation. Surely you can see that there. Becoming a Christian is not getting something new. It's becoming someone new. Becoming someone new by placing, your, placing you in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin, though, sin still remains in you. And as we will see, but its penalty and power and reign have been forever broken. Jesus Christ is now your life. What do you say? For to me to live is finish it. Christ, did you get that? For me to live is to try my best to live a godly life, to do what's right, to obey God's will. No, for to me to live is Christ. Somehow, there's been a disconnect with being a Christian and realizing it's all Jesus Christ. And Paul brings you back to that in Romans chapter 6. Here's what Paul is saying in these first five verses. Why do you say people walk in newness of life? The penalty of sin was broken when we participated in Christ's death, but the power of sin is crushed when we live in new resurrection life, having been raised with him, and that by the indwelling Holy Spirit who will be introduced to us in chapter 8. You'll find out he's not mentioned once in chapter 6. I don't think he's in chapter 7. I'm not sure of that. We come now then to the third major point. We saw that having died to sin, you can't continue to live in it. Having been raised with Christ, you must walk in newness of life. And now, thirdly, the death of your old man has freed you from sin's reign and power. The death of your old man has freed you from sin's reign and power. Verses 6 and 7. Knowing this, that our old self, that's the old man, was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Wow. Number one, here is a truth you need, you need and must know. That's what Paul says, knowing this. Of course, he had to write it because evidently they didn't know it. Knowing this, this is the truth you as a Christian are to know and you're to act upon. Number two, the purpose clause explains how you overcome the reign of sin in your life. It's a purpose clause, henna is called, in order that. That's a purpose clause, in order that. The purpose clause explains how you overcome the reign of sin in your life. This ought to be interesting and valuable to every Christian in here. Verse 6 says again, Knowing this, 
that our old self, our old man, was crucified with him. Purpose clause. In order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Let me explain some terms. Your old self, your old man, is what you were as an unregenerate son and daughter of Adam. Everybody's born in that condition, born in union with Adam. So your old man, your old self, is what you were as an unregenerate son or daughter of Adam. The old self or old man, though, was crucified with Christ uh, when he died on the cross if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. He already said that. He declared that happened to you. Okay? All that we were and all that could ever come out of this unredeemed life in Adam. Now, this is so important. Because this is where a lot of the battle goes on. So please listen to this statement. All that we were and all that could ever come out of our unredeemed life in Adam has been totally rejected by God. Did you get that? Everything. Everything. Our morality. People say, well, I, I try to live a good life. I try to do unto others as I have them do unto me. Our, moral, our good works, so therefore we're going to do everything. We can help people in great need and so forth. Our commitment to even be religious. He says, absolutely everything has been rejected because God completely rejected the Adamic nature. And that's what unsaved people have. That's all they have. Are they good? Yeah, they're good. Do they do good things? Yes, they do. Do they try hard? Yes, some many multitudes do. Are they religious? Absolutely. That seems to be built within man. And God says, I want you to understand, I have completely, absolutely rejected Adam. And anything that comes out of that relationship. God requ- God's requirement is that the old man, the old, listen, his requirement, here's God's requirement. The old man, the old self must be crucified. It must be put to death and done so in Christ in his death on the cross if we're going to ever be reconciled back to him. And that's where the battle goes on because people think they're okay with God. He says, I have completely rejected you in Adam. Now listen, this explains why Christianity is totally exclusive, being the only way to God and eternal life. Why? Because you have to die with Christ on that cross and be buried with Him and be raised to newness of life. That's the only way that anybody can come into the presence of absolutely holy God. So Christianity is totally exclusive, being the only way back to God in eternal life. The unsaved person, the unregenerate person is still an Adam and can only offer God that which God has completely rejected and condemned. Listen, you might be a wonderful, dear person. Everybody loves you and you do your best. If you're not saved, you're still an Adam. And God has completely rejected you. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. He loves you. But there's no other way for you to get right with God, reconcile God, except going to that cross by putting your faith in His Son and what He did for you. And by the way, you either allow to, you either die that way or you're going to die the, th- the th- second death, if you please, by being cast into the eternal lake of fire. This is God speaking here. This is what the world doesn't seem to understand. I'm sorry to say, I think a lot of Say people don't understand it as well. There are no other options. None. 
That purpose clause, verse 6, the latter part, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, is really just a couple of things. Our, our body of sin means the unredeemed bodies where sin still dwells until we are taken home. I'm in Christ, but I still have an unredeemed body and sin still resides there. It's the old man in that connection there that's been severed through death, dying with Christ on the cross. But that term might be done away with. If you have a King James Bible, it says destroyed. And I'm sorry, because that's not a good translation. The Greek word means literally to render inoperative, to make impotent, ineffective. It does not mean annihilated. It does not mean destroyed. Now, one day when God calls us home, it will be. But it means to render it inoperative, impotent, ineffective. Your union with Christ, your new birth, brings death to the sinful self, the old man who is in Adam. But it does not bring death to sin's existence operating in our unredeemed body. But sin's tyranny, its power, its reign has been broken in the believer's life. But listen to me, sin's potential for expression has not been fully removed and therefore keeps on trying to assert itself. And that's what you're dealing with and I'm dealing with daily. That's why I stress under what Paul did not say, that though the Christian died to sin, he did not say Christians are presently dead to sins trying to assert itself in our lives. You know that. That's your battle of mine every day. The new I in Christ still has a battle with indwelling sin in my unredeemed body, even though the old man in Adam has been put to death. Did you get that? So the new I in Christ still has this battle going on with my unredeemed body and sin in it. All believers are removed from sin's domain of power. Since sin has been dethroned, only when one heeds sin's call can it exercise dominion over the new man. So how did you or I die to sin? Well, God took you out of Adam and placed you in Christ. While you were in Adam, you were completely under sin's control. God described your condition in Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. He said, the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. This is the unsaved person. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. And he goes on, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But Romans 6, verse 7 says what? In the scripture there before you, for he who has died is freed from sin. It's freed from sin. We come to the next major point then. The death of your old man has freed you from sin's reign and power. Now, verses 8 through 11, Christ's relation to sin and to God is now your relation. Christ's relation to sin and to God is now your relation. Let me read verses 8 through 11. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. By the way, I put those two words there, right now. It means live with him right now. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so... Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
There are three words you need to underline. How? In Christ Jesus. So Christ's relation to sin and to God is now your relation. Number one, you now live with Christ who is your life. He said that over and over, hasn't he? You now live with Christ who is your life. Believe you possess the power of Christ's resurrected life. Believe you have, act on that. You possess the power of Christ's resurrected life. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Not when we go to heaven, but right now because Christ is our life. And because Christ is your life right now, you possess his resurrected power. In fact, Paul prayed that in Ephesians 1 that you may know the exceeding or surpassing greatness of his power that was displayed when God raised his son up from the dead. Number B, respond to the purpose of such power. You're you're called to do something. I'm called to do something. Respond to the purpose of such power. Because you now possess the power of Christ's resurrected life, you can now moment by moment overcome your body of sin's insistent demands. You can do that because you possess the power. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, verse 10 says. In Christ's earthly death life, I'm sorry, in his earthly life, death in a sense had dominion over him because he, though sinless, died for our sins. But his death was not a triumph for sin. Instead, death released him from the power of sin to hurt him anymore. R.C.H. Linsky puts it this way, explains it this way. Because he had assumed our sin, sin had claims upon him until he died. And these claims put him into relation to our sin. His death and all that it involved ended that relation. He died to sin once for all. Sin can never touch him in any way, shape, or form again. Because we died with Christ, we too have died to sin, as we've said there, verse 1, and also are done with it. And because you are now in him, and he is now your life, you have his power and can also resist sin's insistent demands to control you. Notice, though, how it's done. Did you see that? Verse 11, it's done in Christ Jesus. Done in Christ Jesus. So respond to the purpose of such power. Because you possess the power of Christ's resurrected life, you can now, by moment, live that victorious Christian life. You can and are to walk in newness of life. Number two, Christ died to sin and now lives to God. Verses 9 and 10, let me read them, knowing that Christ... Having been raised from the dead is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. He's done with it. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Three thoughts under that. Number A in your outline, his resurrection life is a powerful life that has no ending. It's great, isn't it? There's no ending to his life as there's no ending to your eternal life. Because why? He is your life. Number B, sin will never again have any claim on him. And sin no longer has any claim on you if you're in Christ. Why? For he is your life and his resurrection power is your power. 
Number C, he lives in continual resurrection power or power to God. He always lived to God, by the way, you know that. But after his resurrection, he does so in an even more fulfilled, dynamic way, having won a great victory over Satan, sin, and death, and he won it for you. That brings us to number three. In Christ, you died to sin and now live to God. That's your whole life. Verse 11. Well, let me read 10, 11. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, now consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Boy, if you, if you, if you in any way move aside those last three words, even in your daily living, you move aside those three words, you're right back to your struggle and your failure and your frustration. That's what you have to see in this text, and I'll help you do that in just a minute. Going to the last major point now before our conclusion, being under grace and not under law necessitates such a walk, walk in newness of life. Being under grace and not under law necessitates such a walk. Verses 12 through 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, because you are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Remember what it said there in verse 10, the life that he lives He lives to God, and now you do the same. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. First, being under grace and not under law necessitates such a walk. Number one, grace frees and empowers you to choose. That's what 12 and 13 say. Grace frees and empowers you to choose. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. You have a choice to make here so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Grace frees and empowers you to choose. Because of God's grace, he made you alive with Christ. God, the Holy Spirit, because of grace, came and he entered your very body and he now resides in you if you're saved. If you've been buried or died and buried and raised with Christ, as I said there in the first three verses, you have the unlimited power of his resurrected, of the resurrected Christ for overcoming and winning the battle over sin's insistent demands to control you. But God, listen, but God still places it in your court to choose to fight and win against sin's demand or to yield and surrender to sin. That's what verses 12 and 13 are saying. William R. Newell writes, These present verses of exhortation are built wholly upon that fact that we died with Christ. We reckon ourselves dead because we participated in Christ's death. Therefore, we dare refuse sin's dominion. We owe sin nothing. We are dead to it, justified from it, and living in another sphere. Number two, you are not under law, 
that gives sin its power. You are not under law that gives sin its power. Verse 14 says, therefore, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Let me give some quotes to help you what that means exactly. James Stifler writes this, You have not only been set free from sin by dying to it, but it has also lost another means of hindering you, the law. Grace and law are antagonistic and mutually exclusive. Sin and law go together, and yet, should the believer chance to go astray, he is still under grace. We're thankful for that. Rene Lopez adds a little bit. He says, one of the purposes of the Mosaic law was to expose and condemn sin in the heart. It was never intended to control it. Yet how often we put ourselves under law thinking somehow by that I'll get it controlled. Just a little more oomph and a little more discipline and I'll get it controlled. In fact, the law heightens sin. On the other hand, Christians are under the system of grace that reigns in power. Believers died to sin as six verses 1 through 13 show and presently stand under a system of grace that supplies the Spirit. Hence, logically, sin shall not have dominion over Christians because God supplies the necessary means to overcome it under the new system of grace. End of quote. Again, Dr. Stanley Ellison writes, we live in a new realm of life. Resurrection life. We live on the resurrection side of sin and judgment with Christ. We've died to sin with Christ on the cross. Note, note, sin has not died The believer has died to sin. The old man died with its bondage to sin. And therefore, verse 14, For sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. I know you're saying, okay, I got those points, but somehow do I, how do I put them together? What is Paul saying that will help me live this victorious life that walk, as I walk in this newness of life? We come now to the last part, a life changing principle. A life-changing principle. First, your death with Christ resulted in your justification. That's how you got saved. Your death with Christ, now keep that, but we're, we're going to talk about death and resurrection. Right now, death. Your death with Christ resulted in your justification. What did you do to get saved? Nothing. You just came to a person, Christ, and you spoke to him, maybe out of your heart, and you told him, I know I'm a sinner. I deserve to be cast in hell. I don't want to be there in that lake of fire. You told him from within your heart that you wanted him to save you, you he, for, to forgive you, to cleanse you, cause you to be born again. You asked him, if you might use these words, to come into your heart and give you eternal life. Something like that. What did you do? You came to a person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You came to him and placed your trust in him. When you did that, just that, amazing, just that, God placed you in his son. On that cross, you died with his son. You were buried with his son. God declared of you that you died with the son, buried with the son. Don't try to figure that out, dear ones. Just accept that God did that to you because he says he did that to you. 
When God did that to you, He justified you. He made a legal declaration and said, You are now righteous. Why? Because you have His Son's righteousness, not your own. That's a legal act where God declares you the guilty sinner free. He pardoned you because His Son paid your price and penalty in full. Therefore, He reconciled you back to Himself and made you His child. You were born into His family. He gave you or He imputed to you His Son's righteousness. Your death with Christ resulted in your justification, your getting saved. All, listen, all you did was come to Him and surrender yourself to Him. That's all you did. You placed your faith in Him, your trust in Him, and He did that for you. He put you on that cross, you died with the Son, you were buried, and God says, I make a legal declaration, I now justify, I declare you righteous, forgiven, you are now born into my family. All you did was come to Him. Number two, your resurrection with Christ resulted, not results, resulted in your sanctification. Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. That resulted in his justification, his being placed in union with Jesus Christ and getting saved. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith In, there it is, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's your sanctification. What does Romans 6, 4 say? So that as Christ was raised up from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might, literally must, walk in newness of life. Why? Because he became your sanctification. That is your sanctification, your whole walk in holiness or in obedience to God. Did you get that? You, you, who saved you? You say it was Jesus Christ. How did you get saved? You came to a person, the person of Christ, and put your trust in Him. How do you live a victorious Christian life then and overcome the constant, insistent demands of sin upon you? Guess what, dear ones? The same way. Through a person. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not through you just struggling on your own effort, and so forth. Did you notice those words in 6, 4, verse 4? So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. I recall very similar words that Paul used over in Ephesians 3 that we've gone over. Let me share that with you. Verses 16 and 17 of Ephesians 3, a prayer that he prayed that he would grant you, that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory. We saw this other was through the glory of the Father. That's a similarity, isn't it? That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Why? Why, Paul? Why this prayer? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's already there. He's your redemption. He's your justification. And it's declared He is also your and my sanctification. Why does Paul have to pray that since he's already stated that Christ is our sanctification? Because it's now left to us. Will we turn to Him? Not a system. Not a discipline. 
Although there is discipline, he talks about self-control of the Spirit. But will we turn to this person who is our life and allow that resurrection power to be ours for we have died to sin? It has no demands on us whatsoever, though it keeps yelling out to us. I'm going to conclude this morning's message with an insightful portion from Dr. Harry Ironside who answers this vital question. Can the regenerate man, apart from the Spirit, fulfill the whole will of God? Let me state the question again that he's going to answer. Can the regenerate man, if you're saved, that's you and me, apart from the Spirit, fulfill the whole will of God? He writes, the answer's clear. Though he delights in the law of God, in which, by the way, no unregenerate man delights, no unsaved man delights in the law of God, he must discover the divinely provided power to live, which is released only through the death of Christ and through the power of the Spirit. Apart from this, there is even for him only continued defeat." He continues, but for every Christian, this is a necessary discovery that he or she must make. Why? In Romans 7, Paul is describing the inevitable conflict that every believer knows when he undertakes to lead a holy life on the principles of legality. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to really commit myself. I'm going to make a promise and commitment to God. He feels instinctively that the law is spiritual, but that he himself, for some unexplained reason, is fleshly, carnal, and in bondage to sin. This discovery is one of the most heartbreaking a Christian ever makes. Yet each one must and does make it for himself at some time in his pilgrimage. He continues, the believer finds himself doing things he knows to be wrong and which his inmost desires are opposed to, while what he yearns to do he fails to accomplish and does instead what he hates. But this is the first part of a great lesson which all must learn who would enroll in God's school. It is a lesson of no confidence in the flesh. And until it is learned, there can be no true progress in growth. The incorrigibility of the flesh must be realized before one is ready to turn altogether from self to Christ for sanctification as he has already done for justification. End of quote. Because we have been raised with Christ, we walk in newness of life. That's what he declared. That life we possess is a person. That's what I want you to see. It's a person. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. When you begin to actually acknowledge his very presence in your life and start moment by moment walking with him, fellowshipping with him, abiding in him, for apart from that you can do nothing, he said. Let him dwell in your hearts by faith, as Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 3 in that prayer. Sin's insistent demand to control you will fall on deaf ears and you'll walk in victory. It's a person. As the writer of Hebrews said, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Until you and I begin living every moment of every day in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is now your and my life, you will continue, and I will, to be frustrated, defeated, yielding ourselves to sin's constant insistence, 
to exert itself in your my life. But when you start acknowledging his presence, you abide in him. And his resurrection power becomes your power, and you find yourself living your life to God. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. That's done. That's my justification. I'm saved. Nevertheless, I live. That's the new man. I live yet. Listen, not I. That's what's happening right there. We've taken those two words out. Nevertheless, I live. No, not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Dear ones, do you see this? Your justification was and is a person. Your sanctification, your walk in newness of life, your victory, your holiness, your obedience, it is the person of Jesus Christ. Somehow we've disassociated that and we're doing this all ourselves. It's good for Bible reading. I understand that in prayer. But he says, will you see me? Yours is a walk with me. No wonder heaven's all about Jesus Christ. Listen, this earthly journey is also all about Jesus Christ. He says, now listen, the class is over. You either will pass or you'll fail. And I'll give you a thousand opportunities to determine which one. It is the person of Christ. See him, worship him, love him, walk with him. Everything you do, look to him. He is there. He is, he didn't just give you life. He is your and my life. Amen. Heavenly Father, we still need help. The battle is real. It wages strong. It did for Paul. He beat, he buffeted his body and made it his slave. He had to. But in Romans 7, he tried that without you, Holy Spirit, without that resurrection power, without walking in fellowship and abiding in you, Jesus Christ. It is a person. It is a person. It is a person in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's not an effort. For in you we find the power to do what is right. And what a joy. No wonder that no matter what we go through, what terrible things we have to face, what a joy to walk in communion with you, Lord Jesus Christ, who is our justification, who is our sanctification, who is our life. Fixing our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we have the benediction, I want to share this with those who might be here that uh, are processing all of this and thinking, you know, I try to be a good person. I try to be moral. I try to do what's good and right. But preacher, you said something there that troubles me. God says that he has rejected absolutely everything that comes out of that old Adamic nature. Everything. He demands it must die. And the only way that God can accept any person, the only way he could accept me or the most moral and uh, striving person in the world is that you have to come and die on that cross with my son and be buried with him. The old Adamic nature must die. And then I will raise you up with Christ. That means the moment you put your faith in him and give you resurrection life, his life. 
I put you, I take you out of union with Adam that you were born with and place you in union with my son. Do you understand, dear ones, I want everybody, that is the only way anybody will ever get saved and escape out of the lake of fire, hell, and end up in heaven. Only by dying, either that way or you must die in the sense of eternal torment, punishment in the lake of fire. I know people hang on to the religion. Well, you know, I'm this religion. I'm faithful. I've been baptized. I've taken confirmation. I'm depending on the sacraments. God says, I condemned you all completely in Adam. You can offer me nothing. I offer you eternal life in my son. Please understand that. So many people today think they're saved and going to heaven, and they are not. Because God says, I completely condemned Adam and those in union with him. Secondly, I want to encourage you to read Romans 6, 1 through 14. You don't have to read all the chapter. Every day, read 1 through 14. Take that outline out. Look at the outline, read the verses, look at the outline, read the next verses. Do it every day until you get what he is saying, that I am your life, I am your life. I am not only your justification, I, the living God, Christ in you, is also. I am also your holy walk, your victory, your sanctification. Father, thank you we could be here. I pray that your word will have its free course and do a mighty work in our life that we will be victorious as we walk in newness of life for that life is you, Jesus Christ. And we are in you. Thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.